on Facebook Live now, and appreciation to Shayla, who is running our Facebook Live today. Robin is out the next two Sundays, and some great folks have stepped forward to make sure we can still connect with our people who are not here in the building with us. And another shout out to Ashley Balm, our, um, can you switch me over to headphone, our um, officiant. This is Ashley's first Sunday officiating. She's doing such a great job. (laughs) It's great to have you on the team, Ashley. Thank you. Well, this summer in July and August, we are exploring the theme, Summer of Love, Um, It's uh, 50 years since the Summer of Love concert, it turns out. I don't recall that, but um, some of you might. And um, But really, we wanted to explore love uh, more broadly than we sometimes think about it. And that's been such a a hallmark of Wes for many years. Wes um, celebrates a Pay Attention to Love Day in February, the Sunday closest to Valentine's Day, and has for a number of years a beautiful tradition that far predates me. And, um, and during that Pay Attention to Love Day, we talk about love in its many forms, not just romantic love, as Hallmark would have us think, but also love between family members, love between friends, um, agape, the kind of broad love that you feel for all of humanity, of all of the kinds of love that we have in our lives. And so that's what we're trying to explore over the course of this summer with a particular look at what kind of love is needed and what it really looks like to live out that love in a community like ours, in a congregation, a humanist congregation like the Washington Ethical Society. Because it's obviously easy to say, you know, we need love, of course, a community like ours, we've got to love each other. But the devil is always in the details when it comes to love. What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like to have a community that acts with love toward each other and toward the world around us? How does that idea of love interact with our many identities, with the systems that act in the world with the way we are at this time, in this moment, in this place, and also the experiences that we bring with us. So over the course of July and August, I'll explore that in a few ways, and we'll have some guest speakers who are exploring it from lots of different angles. I don't think we'll be bored with love by the end of two months. It's hard to get bored with such a deep topic. And I wanted to start, we started last Sunday with a story. Some of you were here for that beautiful rendition in word, music, and dance um, of the story of Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. This Sunday, I wanted to talk a little more specifically about what love looks like, how love shows up in a community like ours. And about the tools, the tools and techniques that are built up over time that help us to show love to each other in a place like Wes. So I'm in my ninth year, um, finishing up my ninth year here at the Ethical Society. And ever since I first started, um, I had people talking about what sounded like a secret code to me. Oh, well, back in relationship building, they would say. And I would think, what? Or, or even better, RB. Well, you know an RB. Well, back in RB, I learned, and I would think, RB. I feel like I did not learn that particular acronym. Shoot, what's RB? Relationship building, really, I would think, well, I've had relationships. I feel like I've built them, 
do I, maybe I know what they're talking about. Relationship building refers to a curriculum here at the um, Ethical Society. Thank you, Tony. It just got very, I'm very blue right now, right? It's kind of, no, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be a different color. You try it on my hair. Um, Relationship building was a curriculum here at the Ethical Society um, for over many years. And a number of you, how many of you have taken a relationship building class here over the years? Yeah. So that proportion used to be, I suspect, larger. And as our community grows and shifts, the number of people who know all the code of RB begins to change. And the number of people who know other ways, different ways of showing love to each other begins to change and grow and shift as well. So I wanted to start with a little look back at what I think of as vintage Wes. Relationship building is like vintage West. Sometimes we've, we've been retro West. We've, we've re brought relationship building back. You know, vintage is when you're wearing the actual clothes from 1950. And, and retro is when you're wearing, like, clothes inspired by the clothes from 1950. Um, relationship building isn't actually from 1950. It's much more recent than that. Um, but I wanted us to have a little look at vintage West. Hear from people who were immersed in relationship building during its heyday. And then hear a little bit from folks who are working on different kinds of but not dissimilar tools and techniques for how we communicate with each other, how we show love with each other. And think a little bit about how we as a community have used different ways to show that love and what it might look like for us in the future. So I want to start with um, some words from Joe London. Joe is actually away this Sunday. <clears throat> But she offered to write something to me um, about relationship building and about what it meant to her. So I'll share her words, and then I'll ask Mary Blandon-Smith to come forward and share a little bit as well about her experience. Here are Joe's words. When I started going to Wes, even before I joined, I took some of the workshops that were offered. The one that made the biggest impression on me was called Introduction to Relationship Building, IRB. There's that code. <laughs> I learned that couples that got along well and resolved their differences to their satisfaction used four different styles of communication, depending on the situation and their intentions, rather than the two that most people use. They were small talk, control talk, search talk, and straight talk. The first two were very familiar. The last two were new and very useful. I also learned how to analyze incidents those upsets that I kept reliving in my mind that went around and around, upsetting me more and more, but that I got nowhere with, as if I were in the TV department of the Best Buy and all the TVs were tuned to different channels. Perhaps you have experienced this. I learned to use a tool called the awareness wheel, which helped me notice the objective occurrence that upset me, as well as my physical sensations, emotions, interpretations, actions, and wants that the occurrence triggered. One TV program at a time. Then I could decide whether I could let the incident go, or whether I needed to apologize because I could see how I caused or contributed to the incident, or whether I needed to talk about the situation with the other person who may not have experienced it as, it as an incident, or who may have had a different incident of their own. I made many awareness wheels. I think one per incident, right? Was that the idea? And usually felt much better afterwards, either because I realized that the other person had not done me wrong, or because I came to a better understanding after talking with the other person. 
I loved relationship building so much that I co-led the workshop many times. It takes time and practice to get used to using these tools, but it's well worth the effort. Jo, I know, feels that she uses those tools still in her life, and so does Mary, and I'd like to invite her to come and share a little bit. Good morning. I'm Mary Blandon Smith. Back in the day, I was Mary Bauer. And I've been at West since 1976. I grew up here. It's amazing. And I joined because I was interested in ethics. I liked the folks who were here, but I knew nothing about ethical culture. Relationship building workshops developed right about that time, maybe a little bit later. And the reason was that the leader at that point, Don Montagna, believed that in order for us to go out into the world and to be active and to make a difference and to bring the beliefs that we share, although we don't have beliefs in this community, but the standards that we share, the ethics that we share, we needed to be strong within our group. We needed to be able to resolve conflict. We needed to be able to build friendships. We needed to disagree without being disagreeable. And we needed to be able to be honest with where we are and who we are. So Lynn Wayman and Don began a search for a process. And they discovered a book entitled Straight Talk. And in this book, they, and eventually we, learned about the four ways of speaking. As Joe said in, in the piece that Amanda read, the, the small talk, which sort of paves the way, that smooths things out, that makes a friendship possible. Sometimes people think about it as cocktail party talk, but it's essential in many ways. There was also control talk, like control, and heavy control, and you had to be careful of that because it could get people's backs up and then you're nowhere. Then there is search talk. And this is curiosity, wondering, who is this person I'm talking to? What do they believe? Where are they from? How did they grow up? What are their traditions? What's important to them? What are their standards? It's also important to think about my own, being searching with my own beliefs, my own, what does it mean to be white? What does it mean to have the standards that I grew up with? What did my parents believe? It's curiosity. And then there's straight talk. The heart of RB, as we said, was being able to be vulnerable and to say, I love you. And I don't understand why you're doing X, Y, or Z. Help me understand you. I'm frightened. I need help. The vulnerability piece of who we are. So the key words in RB are learning community. And that's what we were, and that's what we are today as a learning community. Often it's, it's triggered by Amanda, who has studied something, or gone to a conference, or is using a theme like zest or love brings it back, and she starts talking about it, then we all get into it. There's the, in, in, the incident, 
And an incident is what makes a difference in a relationship or a friendship. It can be something that, that were you aware, you become aware that I love this person. It brings joy into your whole body. It also can be like a cringing in the gut where you know, you know, have I been hurt? Have I been zapped? Somebody out to get me? Retro what is it? So then you get curious. Then you get curious and use the awareness wheel, which is a wheel that lets you look at the interpretations about what's going on. 20, Susan Baggett, a former leader, recommended. Can imagine what you can get to with 20 interpretations about the other person, about yourself. You look at your feelings. You look at the exact words that were said. You may associate it to an early incident, may notice a pattern before you get to your wants. What do I want? Do I want a closer friendship with this person? Do I need to end it right here? I'm learning. We're building relationships. Who was born knowing how to have good, strong relationships? So in summary, I use this all the time. I was married for the second time about three years ago, and my husband noticed I was drawing these circles and putting these spokes out, and he said, what are you doing? And I would do it anytime we had a, an incident. So finally, I said, this is an awareness wheel. What? Anyway, I explained it to him. But it's a way of thinking through what's going on with you and the other person, and it creates a huge amount of empathy for yourself and for the other person, and it opens possibilities. Thank you. RB or uh, IRB, um, awareness wheels, incidents, all of this language was at one time at West a kind of shared vocabulary, a way for people to understand each other. I, I hear about times when people would say, I've had an, I need to work an incident with you, right? Let's get our awareness wheels out and set it up. And you can see the way that that shared vocabulary and shared intention may have been helpful. At the same time, not just now, but at every single time during Wes's history and existence, Wes has been a growing and changing community. We are never the same. Every Sunday morning, new people come into our community who have never walked through our doors before, over and over again. In that way, there is almost nothing static about who we are. And it can be difficult then to, to sort of rely on shared vocabulary or shared culture, even shared assumptions, when we're trying to be a community of intention with each other, a community of love. I think of that more so now than ever as we grow, and we'll hear a little bit about that in a moment from Bob. I think about the ways that the vocabulary of our past continues to resonate for many of us and doesn't mean much to newer folks who haven't had that opportunity in those classes. And I think about all of the different language, the new tools and techniques that we've brought in here at the Ethical Society. In my nine years, we've done nonviolent communication, offered that a number of times, and people have become familiar with those tools and techniques, with that vocabulary and that intention. And some of 
of you I know find that to be a grounding way of interacting in the world, just as Mary and Joe find their work with relationship building to be grounding. We've also had um, uh, conversations around uh, systemic oppression and race. That comes more and more into our conversations and continues to grow. Each time that we've developed a new tool or technique, someone has found a way to latch onto it, a way to make it part of their grounding, their intention setting in the way that they show love in the world. I'd like to invite Bob Pokorny now to share a little bit about his role and about some of the work that's happening right now at WES. Good morning. I'm Bob Pokorny, and I'm a member of the Community Relations Committee. Each of you is like me in that we all talk with people that we disagree. I'm echoing. You're so tall. I can't help but notice. I can't. I I don't want to change that, actually. I know. I don't want you to either. I love that about you. Good. Okay. But I think this is too small for you. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm happy to be here, even though I'm tall. Okay, how is this? We're going to get there, guys. <laughs> AV morning. It is AV morning. The battery's low, John. Okay, here we go. Can you turn this off and I'm going to raise the... Um... Okay. Yep. Okay. Did it go higher or was it on the highest? It went higher. All right, we're going to try that. Okay. Can anyone hear me now? Ooh. So each of you is like me in that we always have conversations with folks with whom we disagree. Uh, I get to talk with Republicans at work. I talk with people at work who think that we should spend money on things that I disagree with. And at home, there are people who buy food that I don't want to eat. This is all normal. It's okay. It's okay. Um, Everyone has different beliefs and ideas and preferences. but. The people in this room and the people who, are, who follow ethical culture have a different kind of relationship with those people with whom we disagree. We value everyone and we understand that we're all interconnected with each other. So when I'm aspiring to my highest ethical culture values, when I meet up with someone who I disagree with, I do my best to connect with them and try to elicit their best, which leads me to my best, and I'm thinking in particular about my wife right now, who's probably out there somewhere. So at West, we have many practice opportunities for connecting with, uh, with each other. There are excellent adult ed community classes. There are the red-blue divide meetings. And there are opportunities for us to talk about strangers with race, about race, rather. So as a member of the Community Relations Committee, uh, we try to develop and support honest and kind communication when people disagree. What we do the most is to, how we're most visible is after platforms in the hallway outside, we host a, a feedback center where people can come and talk about what they liked or didn't like about the platform or programs. And we share that with information who are those who can support and deal with the topics of concern. Uh, We also, from September so to June, we hosted a bunch of 
meetings that dealt with what we call the Living Learning Lab, where people would talk about situations that were difficult to which uh, we could apply ethical cultures, uh, values, and principles. As we go forward, the Community on Relations Committee will be trying to provide more practice opportunities for us to practice and get better at holding difficult conversations. We'll also be seeking to develop a covenant by which we can have principles and guidelines for talking with each other when we disagree. As WEST grows and becomes more diverse, it could be easy for uh, communication to suffer. There'll be more people who I don't know, and there'll be more people who have different assumptions and presumptions about how we all get along. So it's going to be very important for us to think about how we keep communicating well with each other. So the Community Relations Committee and other groups here at WEST will be supporting ways to learn about and practice communication awareness and habits so that we can keep eliciting the best in each other. One of the places where I have seen all of these attempts at communication live most deeply has been on the board. Board meetings at West are always open um, to all members, and every once in a while, someone comes, uh, which is really exciting. <laughs> but most of the time, the board is the board itself, joined by me, talking about their vision for West, what they hope to create here, going through things both mundane and exciting, and trying to do so by living out their values, trying the, to make sure that the how is just as important as the what, how we are with each other, not just what we're talking about or what vision we're pointing toward. Over the years, I've seen the board work with different covenants or agreements about how they want to be with each other. When I first started out, the joke was that the bylaws actually mandated some of that, including that the snacks brought to the meeting had to be both sweet and salty. <laughs> someone was really concerned about Someone said, I agree. Yeah, they, they were yummy. Possibly not the most important thing when you think about being a caring and loving community with each other, although snacks are really important. Being hangry has uh, put aside many a good communication possibility. <laughs> <laughs> at least in my family. Um, over the years, I've seen the board get more and more serious about the agreements that they make with each other, about how they want to show up. They use a kind of decision-making called consent-based decision-making, which gives voice to every person and makes sure that everybody can live with decisions going forward. That was a huge shift from majority voting, where if you weren't in the majority, you lost. Uh, whenever that decision was made. And then in the past few years, I've seen their agreements grow increasingly sophisticated as they brought into the conversation systems of oppression, the way that each of us swim in the water of white supremacy and patriarchy here in this country, and the way that that affects how we show up in the world and how we show up with each other. The need to be aware of those realities in our communication, in our presence at the table with each other. 
It's been a beautiful thing to see those agreements worked on each year. Now, I have to admit that here in my ninth year, after nine years of seeing the board go through and create its agreement each year anew, they take the last years and they look at it, but they always think it's not quite right. They always need to tweak it somehow. I admit a little bit to, um, you know, about 45 minutes into that conversation thinking maybe last year's was fine and couldn't they just have adopted it and gone with it? so we could move on to the next business, which hopefully is the snacks. <laughs> but the truth is that it's the process of conversation that is important. Adopting last year's agreement, even if it had all of the subtlety and beauty, wouldn't lead to the kind of conversation that helps the board show up with each other in its current configuration, the, the new people at the table. In just the same way, all of the classes and techniques that we've had at West over the years, although they inform us individually and inform us as a community, they need to be alive, living processes for us now in this community. We couldn't simply have everybody read the curriculum of relationship building, un understand it, and then go forward as a community with those shared values, even if they were perfect for us today. Instead, it's the struggling together, the learning with each other, the bringing our own grounding tools and techniques and trying over and over again with each other that makes love alive in our community, that gives us the kind of process we need to try again and again and to inform who we are now, different than who we were the week before. Bob talked in his um, piece about the Community Relations Committee and their work to, uh, in time, bring a covenant or an agreement to our community, an agreement of how we want to be with each other. Agreements like that can be helpful. They give us a set of guidelines and hopefully a way of being in communication with each other when those guidelines aren't met, right? All of those agreements and every communication technique that I have ever heard emphasizes the importance of speaking directly with people, finding a way, perhaps after a pause or a timeout, to come back together to the table with each other, to speak directly one-on-one -on -one with another person. That can be especially tricky in a community like ours, and even in families and our most intimate relationships. You might be familiar with the oh-so-tempting process of triangulation, where because I have a problem with Bob, I think it would be best to talk to Mary and um, really uh, share with her the full extent of my problem with Bob, only as long as she promises not to tell Bob. That makes it a little harder for Bob to understand the problem. Um, as you might guess, <laughs> and it doesn't give Bob and me an opportunity to work that out. As we explore more communication techniques, I hope that we remember the core of all of them, which is really at the heart of ethical culture, the idea of the importance of relationship, the importance of mutuality and connection with each other. Ethical culture teaches us that I am not fully myself unless you are fully yourself. It invites us to see the other person completely, authentically, to bring all of ourselves to the table, 
to learn about each other with the kind of curiosity that Mary talked about in search talk in relationship building, the kind of curiosity that is often part of intercultural communication techniques and nonviolent communication as well. All of those frameworks, all of those ways of showing up are just that, techniques, tools that help us get to the heart of what really lies at the center of love, the center of communication and relationship. Our care for each other and our willingness and commitment to stay together through those conversations. In the months that come this summer, as we look at that more fully together, and over the course of the coming year, as perhaps the Community Relations Committee leads us through a process of agreement building, I hope that you will show up with your full selves. All the identities that you bring, all the ways that you express yourself, the assumptions that you have, the ways that you interact with systems in our broader society, your full self meeting another's full self so that you might show true love to each other.